Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Revelation. If you've been with us, uh, we, um, you, you might have experienced the Sundays where my introduction was as long as my message and we didn't quite get through everything, and this could be one of those days as well. But I did get through it in, this, in the first service, so we will get through it in the second service. Uh, but as you look at the book of Revelation, it, it really is a book in which there, there is so much you could try to explain, and, but the challenge is if you, if you try to explain everything, you might get overwhelmed by the detail. And so what I'm going to try to do is give you the big picture, but I will give you quite a few details this morning as well. But really, as we think about the book of Revelation, it's all about God announcing to us what he will do in the faithfulness of filling out the promises he has given uh, throughout the record of God's word. And so many have looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament in a simple way. Is the Old Testament primarily as promises made in the book of Revelation? In the book of New, in the New Testament, it's promises kept, and that is particularly true as you look at the last book of God's Word. But the other thing, it's it's really a book in which you see the nation of Israel uh, and, and the details concerning God's plan for them uh, played out. And if you haven't noticed, the Middle East is a hot spot. Uh, it's a place in which uh, conflict is always happening. I was just reading last week. Um, in the news uh, that Israel had launched another strike back on Gaza because of a militant rocket that had, that had hit southern Israel. And there was a group that claimed um, the responsibility for the fire of that rocket. It was uh, a jihadist Salafi group known as kind of the Omar Brigade. And this is their commentary on why they did so. The Jews, or Israel, will never enjoy security as long as we are alive. And so there are people who are committed, they've committed their own lives uh, to destroy the lives of that um, small piece of real estate po uh, populated primarily by God's chosen people. And by saying they're God's chosen people doesn't mean they're any more special than anybody else. It's like a fiddler on the roof. Sometimes Jewish people say, can't you choose somebody else sometime? I mean, they have not, they have not exactly experienced an easy history uh, as a people. But, but God, in his graciousness and mercy and compassion, will be faithful to those who have been chosen by him but have often uh, rebelled against him. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting as you think about that, that, that God wants us to be aware of what uh, is going on there because he's sounding the alarm. And, and let me just tell you this in the very beginning. As, as we going to look at some stuff this morning. I, I want you to, I really only have one point, and it's really kind of encapsulated in my message title, which is sounding the alarm. As we look at Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9, looking in an overview of the judgments that God has announced will happen, uh, he is announcing it by the use of a musical instrument. And a, and a trumpet has often been used throughout history to be that that, that noise that gets people's attention. Something is about to happen, whether it is the Kentucky Derby or any other part of the, the Triple Crown as trumpets are blaring, uh, or whether it is some other announcing, is that God wants to get people aware that he is on the move. Now, it's interesting. We had a group of people go see the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in Ex Exposition Park, where the Colosseum is, and among all the artifacts there, I was really struck by one of the artifacts. It was entitled The War Scroll, and it was written, at least they had dated it, between 30 and 1 BCE. 
And if you're wondering why they call it, you know, um, BCE, it's now because of political correct uh, terminology, it's the common era. So you have CE, which is the common era now, and then BCE is before the common era, rather than dating a particular related to Christ. But it was before Christ's, you know, um, record of, of coming here, and it was called the War Scrolls. And this is, this is what a, a group of people uh, who are very conservative, uh, kind uh, biblical literists uh, among the Jewish people were looking at what they understood was going to happen because of what God had said in the revealed word of God. And it was called this, uh, War Scrolls, Sons of Light Against Sons of Darkness. After, um, after the, the light has come and the darkness goes to battle, then the new, war, the new world order will come to pass. And this is on a scroll, and I'm just giving you the Reader's Digest version of it, that was found in K4 in 1952, and it's the scroll 4Q491, in case you wanted to take notes, is that it, it was a learning how the Jewish people looked ahead. And they could see that God had prophesied that there's going to come a time when evil and good will come together in conflict. There'll be this great battle, and then a new world order. God's kingdom will now be here on this earth. And the reason I say that is we look back in history, that obviously has not, what, happened. And so as we look at the book of Revelation, I'm committed to what's called a futuristic perspective on the book of Revelation, which simply says the vast majority of this book is going to be in the future. It hasn't happened yet. But there are other viewpoints, and I just want to share with you, just so you're not thinking that, that there isn't other ways to take this book. There's, a, there's a, an approach called the historicity. Approach, or basically an historical approach, and just kind of summarizing some of their viewpoints of this as you read book, through the book of Revelation, they, they feel the trumpets, which we'll look at today, the trumpet judgments, speak of a series of invasions against the Roman Empire, Vandals, Huns, Sarsens, and Turks. And then they look at the, at the sixth trumpet, bringing the fall of Constantinople to the Turks in 1453. And they believe the little book, which we looked at in uh, Revelation chapter 5, uh, represents the Bible being made available to the masses of Europe after the invention of the printing press. Now, I guess you could read into that revelation that way, but I, it's hard for me to imagine that this book that was up in heaven, that was sealed with official scrolls, you could not open it, no one could open no angelic being or no uh, person that was a a faithful man of God or a friend of God, which would be descriptions of Abraham and David, that they, they could not open this book because they weren't worthy. And what were they waiting for? That the, the printing press to be invented so the Bible didn't, wasn't copied by hand, but it was copied by the printing press. And so some of the ways of approaching this book just, you know, just seems, well, where did you get that? You know, the simple reading of the, of the text, you would never come to that conclusion. And then you have another viewpoint, it's called the preterist position, which is basically a position that everything has happened in the past. And they take the first four trumpets as corresponding to disasters inflicted by the Romans during the war against Israel, uh, the Jewish war in AD 66 through 70. Now, you, you could, uh, and we're going to talk about that. There are some near fulfillments of, of what God has said is going to happen in the future, that has happened in the past, so we can kind of get a glimpse of what it's going to be like when he does the real ultimate thing. But when you go through in terms of consistently reading through the book of Revelation, you're saying, where do you get that? For instance, uh, the fifth trumpet, uh, they say 
depicts demonic spirits rendering the besieged Jews irrational and self-destructive. Well, nowhere in the text does it talk about people will, will turn on themselves to kill one another. It talks about they might want to kill themselves because they want to get away from the pain, but not that they are attacking each other. And, and then they would have to localize it just among Jewish people. And then they see the sixth trump that re- refers to the Roman armies who deployed around Jerusalem and slaughtered or deported all the Jews. Well, again, if you look at the Olivet Discourse, uh, it says that there are the nations of the world will surround Jerusalem. Well, here you only have the Roman Empire surrounding them. So it's hard to look at that that way. And then you have the, what's called the spiritual... I can't say some of these words fast. That's why I kind of mumble. Okay, The spiritual approach. And that basically says, you look at the Re- book of Revelation, it's really a, a, an elongated story where you're having good versus evil, and it's, the story is given to us in a, a literative, creative way. Now, there are people a lot smarter than me, and let me just tell you, there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me, all right, that hold these positions. But I, I take reading the Bible is that when you go to the Bible, you just, you just read it as it is. When it's obviously symbolic, then you take it symbolic. If, it's, if, it's, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense, for any other sense will be nonsense. It's, you know, it's, it's not talking about the wars of the Turks and the Huns and the Vandals. You know, it's, not, it's not talking about the, the printing press. It's not talking about you know, Jew against Jew going irrational and killing each other when there's no word, that's not in the text. Okay, Now, and so the position I take is it's called, the, again, as I said to you before, the futuristic approach. That this, is, this is talking about a time in which we have said in the past is going to be like no other time in the past or in time in the future. It's unique to this period of time. So we're in the midst of looking at a period of time which is called the tribulation, and specifically parts of it, the great tribulation, as the heat is turned up. There are the birth pangs of God's judgments, and then the, the real pains of, of birth are happening where God's wrath is being displayed. We, we sang a chorus in the first service about uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, the book of Revelation announced to us it will not only declare the glory of God, but the holiness of God and the wrath of God. So th- th- that's what, right where we're in the midst of this. But as just giving a shorter introduction to this, is as we get into this book, I want us to always understand we want to know who is coming as well as what is coming. And, we, and who is coming, we're not just saying Jesus, but who is Jesus, who is God. And as we think about Jesus, as we think of his deity, is, is his character, his attributes are revealed. And God is both holy and just and righteous, but he's merciful and compassionate. So in Revelation chapter 7, which came right after Revelation chapter 6, all right, you're still with me. Revelation chapter 6, we had the judgments announced, the sealed judgments, that became so horrific that at least in one of the judgments, one-fourth of the world's population died. And, and, and I'm sure John, and as we read that, we're just overwhelmed. I mean, you're talking a fourth of the population died? And then there's a pause. In the midst of the pause, we see another attribute of God, not only his holiness and justice, we see his mercy. Because it announces to us that God is going to take 144,000 Jewish people, make him into flaming evangelists, and they're going to go throughout the world spreading the gospel. And are they going to be effective? 
they're going to be amazingly effective because there are going to be so many people come to faith in Christ that they're almost in, uh, you can't even count them from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And so the greatest revival in all of history will happen during this period of time. In the backdrop of judgment, God will bring mercy and compassion. And we need to understand this, that, that as Ezekiel 18 says, that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. His desire is that all men will come to repentance and turn to him. So that's the message of this in the midst of all the carnage that we read about and all the destruction that comes from the hand of God. So we see who is coming and what he is like as well as seeing what is coming. Now, one other freebie before we look at the text. As you think about the book of Revelation, this isn't, you know, you can get somewhat uh, distracted when you're thinking, well, you know, as I read this, it seems like unlike anything else I read about in the Bible. You know, we're, we're having to Jesus' love and mercy and gentleness and it's still there. I mean, has this side of God been unveiled before? And the answer is yes. And, and it's unveiled in describing a unique period of time, again, uh, called the Day of the Lord. In your outline, I put it this way, day, and then in parentheses S, because there have been days in the past. The days of the Lord have come, and the day of the Lord is coming. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And it's used many times in the, in the Bible, but explicitly, which simply means uh, undeniably, super clearly. It's used 19 times in the Old Testament and four times in the New Testament in reference to the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. And again, the emphasis, again, this is the Lord's day. We're not talking about Sunday. You know, we're, not, we're not talking about a Sabbath day. We're talking about this is the day of the Lord where His, His will will be completely and, and fully uh, manifest. My wife this past week uh, had, a, had a birthday, and so uh, Thursday was Alice's day. You know, this is Alice's day. And then, you know, what's happening now with birthdays, it's not just a day, it's then a week, and so it's Alice's week, all right. But there's coming a time where it's going to be the day of the Lord, okay. And it won't necessarily happen in one 24-hour period of time. It will be an extended period of time, in seven-year period of time, where God's plan is unfolded completely. Now, in your outline, I, I put it this way. Let's just get a handle on the big description of this day. In Isaiah 13, 6, it says this, a, a time of destruction from the Almighty. And, and so this day is clearly a day in which the wrath of God will be manifest in, in all its, its clarity. It will also be a day or a time of fury and burning anger. You know, anger is not described in the Bible as always sinful or evil. There is a place for righteous anger. And of course, the one who always is only righteous in his anger is God, because it's the unleashing of God's response to evil and sin. And so it will be a time of fury and burning anger. Ezekiel 30, verse 3, it will be a time of doom. So th this, is, this is one of those days that you, you, you wish you weren't there. All right? It's a day of destruction. It's a day of doom. And Joel 2.11, it's a time that is great and very awesome. And sometimes you can see things in nature that, uh, that are so overwhelming. It's awesome, and yet it's still destructive. And of course, as God portrays a picture in terms of word, word language, it's a time of darkness and not light. 
fact, in 1 John it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Which again speaks of his sinlessness and his holiness. And none of us this side of eternity can say that. We are totally forgiven of everything that is evil and sinful in our lives, but we have not removed ourselves completely from that. And so if you think the church is a place for perfect people, um, I can at least tell you that that's, that's not this church, okay? Because only imperfect people are asked to come here. Um, because we cannot say in terms of our lifestyle that there is no darkness within us because we still do the deeds of darkness even though God has made us light in him in terms of the penalty of sin has been forgiven. But how, how is the day of the Lord used in the Bible? Well, it's used in two different ways. One, it's used of near historical fulfillment. And, and we've, we see that in the Old Testament. Sometimes there's Babylon coming in and giving judgment to, to Israel. And we're not going to be looking up these passages because of the time. We see in Joel, sometimes God manifests, God manifests human instruments to bring judgment upon, particularly Israel. And they had the, the flight of the locusts that just brought devastation to the land. Um, that Israel inhabited. And, and there have been periods of time like this. I was reading about an a onslaught of locusts in the year 1952 in Syria and Jordan and Iraq. And it said for hundreds of thousands of miles, locusts came in and destroyed just about everything. And you can look at parts of the world where it just, there's just not much there. And so destruction has happened. And so God sometimes... We we'll use a particular event in history which it will show that it is an act of God and God is responding to his people's rebellion. And it's used of a, a near historical fulfillment. And there was an historical uh, fulfillment in the, in the time of Joel. And it's also an historical fulfillment in the time of the apostles. Because at the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and it's also found in Luke uh, chapter 21, is that the question was asked about to Jesus, well, after Jesus said there wasn't going to be one stone left here where the temple was, and then tells about the end of the times, and they thought those two events were exactly the same, which they weren't. They said, okay, there is going to be a near fulfillment of my judgment upon Israel who rejected Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah. And in 70 AD, Rome came in, uh, and God used them as the hand of judgment, and that city was wiped out. And that was a near fulfillment, but it was not the complete future fulfillment in which God ultimately was going to come and his judgment hand would be upon this entire planet. And so it's used of an historical judgment. It's also used of a final future fulfillment. And the final judgment is what we've been seeing in the pages of the book of Revelation where, where God unleashes his hand. And, and let me just say this as, as we go through these fairly rapidly, the judgments that are announced, is that sometimes God uses his hand in a direct way where he brings things from the heavenlies to, to pound this earth. As he uses things to, to destroy, whether it be plant life or human life. And it's, it's not using any other agency other than his direct hand. And then other times, just like he did in the times of Israel, he would, in Israel's time, sometimes he would use a, a, a more unrighteous, or if you want to put it, a more evil nation than Israel itself and bring judgment upon his people. And in the book of Revelation, you'll see sometimes God actually uses Satan to be able to do whatever he wants with limitations to bring 
uh, destruction on this planet. And, and we shouldn't be that surprised by it. When, when Job got tested, did he get tested by the direct hand of God or the indirect hand of God? The indirect hand. Because he allowed Satan to test Job. Now, Satan had his own agenda, and God had his agenda. Satan's agenda was to destroy Job. God's agenda was to purify Job. And so we see two agendas when he uses his indirect unleashing of the evil one to do his thing. Well, let's look at it this morning. Again, in case you didn't listen at the beginning, um, is there's a simple message this morning. God sounds his alarm. He's getting people's attention. And even as we looked at last week, is that God can get our attention by just getting everything quiet. And the longer I'm quiet, the more uncomfortable it gets. And all of a sudden we think, what has happened up there? You know, and then all of a sudden you think of what's happening in here. And things will get quiet. Sometimes God gets attention by just simply bringing us into the experience or awareness there are people who really know God and when they, when they pray they're really talking to God and you say I, I want what they have I'm, 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 I, I just don't want to be on the, on, the, on the outside I really want what they have and so God grabs their attention and so we see in heaven God has 30 minutes of silence before he unleashes the next judgments we see the prayers of God's people coming up so much that that God adds to their prayers and an aroma and incense, and, and there's just this presence of, of people connecting with God, and God grabs our attention that way. Sometimes God grabs our attention just with noise, and we've all been in a situation where we're feeling pretty comfortable, all of a sudden thunder and lightning strike, and we're just aware of, wow, I, I, I thought everything was just great, and I was under, everything was under control, and, I was enjoy- and then all of a sudden, bam, God does it that way. And then is what we see in the judgments that we'll just go through again just this morning, is that God speaks to us in our pain. And C.S. Lewis uh, has that familiar statement where he said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, and he shouts at us in our pain. And as you think about that just for a moment, uh, when we have pleasure, or just we experience the joy of life, or the peace of life, or the happiness of life, I, we all long for that, but it's so easy in the midst of when things are going well not to think about God, right? Now, I'm a pretty smart person. I chose to do this. I'm going down that path. Things are going right because I, I got my act together. and We're not giving credit to God. And so God, God can get our attention when things are going well, and we, we recognize that's not because of me, but because of the grace of God that I'm having good times. But he shouts to us in our pain. And when he's shouting, we'll do one of two things. We'll run to him or run away from him. Isn't that right? We will curse God because how could a good God or whatever God we think he is bring us that pain? Or we recognize we are deserving whatever we get and just by the grace of God, he's going to give us the strength to go through it. So God is sounding the alarm. Whether he's blowing a trumpet and that's why it's called a trumpet judgment. It's not... It's not you know, complex. There's a trumpet blaring, so people are made aware that something's about to happen. It's like God, you know, turning down the, the fire alarm, and people all of a sudden realize, oh, I got to get out of this building. Something's going to happen. God pulls down the fire alarm by the sound of the trumpet, and then he said, this is, this is what's going to happen. 
So let's look at it this morning. Revelation chapter, chapter 8, finish off where we left off last week, and then just, just doing a kind of a running commentary, not speaking about everything in the text, uh, because then we would never get out of this text. Um, we'll, um, we'll see what God announces. Revelation chapter 8, uh, beginning with verse uh, 6 and, and following along. Now, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. They're they're pulling the alarm. The first uh, sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And so what happens? God unleashes things from the heavenly and a third of the vegetation that is on this earth will be no more. And again, what appears to be is that God sends down judgment from the heavenly, and in the midst of all that happens, there is the horrific look of blood everywhere as fire produces destruction and a blood-like color around the earth. And then secondly, what happens? And the next angel sounds, and, it, and something like a, a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And again, here, now we have the imagery. We know that God is, doesn't have some kind of a mountain flowing out in outer space here. It says something like a mountain. And so some huge rock, uh, asteroid or whatever, is, is, is going to be sent down on this planet, and destruction again happens. It's thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea become blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And, and so again, it, as we just read this, this simply as, as it is written, we, we see God's destructive hand pouring out his wrath as the seas are judged. A third of the seas are judged. And whether it's a red tide, and we see sometimes red tides in the oceans, or whether it's produced by the, the, the death of so many sea creatures, it's evident that the hand of some supreme being is causing this. This is not a man-made experience. So you have a third of the vegetation, of the vegetation uh, burned up, and a third of the seas that are judged. In case you're wondering why I didn't talk about the other parts of my outlines, I forgot. But anyway, uh, let's just talk about this trumpets real quick. Uh, in case those want, oh, you probably saw them up there. But basically, in, in Scripture, what do trumpets do? They, they uh, summon God's people to action, they sound an alarm, and they announce the day of the Lord. And there are other things as well, and you can look at them this week. But thirdly, a third trumpet. A third trumpet in verse 10, the angel sounded a great star fell from heaven. And the word for star is aster, which again, it could be an asteroid, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Some people look like these are flaming comets that are just uh, pounding uh, the, uh, the, the earth. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters become Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And so God brings a destruction, not just on the seas that we don't look for 
um, drinking uh, water, but now in the fresh waters. And, and that's something where we begin to realize life is out of control because the hand of God has now been placed heavenly upon this earth. Then the, verse 12, the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Now we don't know because of all the destruction and I'm sure they're in the midst of it, we've already heard about earthquakes and probably volcanic activity which could cause all kinds of things that would be blood-like or would be um, causing things in the sky to be... Uh, blinded by the things that are in the atmosphere, or whether God just supernaturally decides to put down a, uh, he has a dimmer sh uh, switch up in heaven. He just, he just takes the sun and, and just it doesn't shine quite as bright, or the moon is not shining quite as bright. And, and the impact on the world is just immense. And then in the midst of that, as you, as you see, what has happened? A third of the vegetation is burned up, a third of the seas are judged, a third of the fresh waters contaminated, a third of the skies are darkened. And there's probably no discourage, more discouraging thing to be in a place where it seems like it's, the sun never shines. You know, there, there are parts in the world that are like that, and I'm thinking, man, that'd be so hard to live like that. You know, if you're a native California, we see the sun all, all year round, and to be in a place where it's, it's always dark, it's always dim, and, and you wonder, is it ever going to lighten up? And I use that both physically and figuratively. This is what's happening on this planet. And then what God does then, he, 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 wants, he wants people to realize, sometimes when bad things happen, you realize something bad's happened, you go, well, at least that's over with. I got through that. And then, it, then, then something happens. Bam, it's like, it's like if you, ever, you know, if you ever surf, sometimes you get inside the shore and you're trying to get out, and all these waves get coming, and you just get pounded and pounded and pounded. And just waiting to get through that last, last onslaught of, of waves, and it seems like it never ends. And after these four judgments, a third of the vegetation, a third of the seas, a third of the fresh water, a third of the stars, uh, the, there's an angel or an eagle that goes out around the world. And I looked at an eagle flying in, in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet and of the three angels are about to sound. And, and he's saying again, in the midst of, of God being merciful and compassionate, there's going to be a revival that will spread throughout that. this whole period of time. People will be coming to Jesus. Judgment will be destructive. And it's not, it's, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Woe to those who experience what comes next. And then chapter 9, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now, again, as you, as you read in the book of Revelation, you will see words used in its literal sense. If you just take it as, it as you would read it. And other times you, you'll see it, and sometimes even that same word used in a figurative sense. And we know that figurative sense is not always the same because of the context in which it is written. For instance, in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about uh, Jesus standing among the seven golden lampstands, and in his hand he's got seven stars. And then, and then it, he actually interprets those stars. These seven stars are the are the angels to the churches in the book of Revelation? Remember that? Like nod your head like you were listening when we got, okay. 
right. And if you remember that, it, 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 what those seven stars were, those connected to those churches. And I told you at that time, you know, as, as you think about a person like me, and per, say particularly me, if you, if you wonder what to, uh, you know, what to call me, you know, you can just call me Mike. If people call me Mike, that's fine with me. Or, you know, some people, you know, call me Pastor Mike. And I said, well, if you don't like any of those, you can call me Angel Mike, right? These are the seven angels to the church. I'm, I'm your angel. Uh, and, and then if you don't like that, you can call me a star. You know, I'm a rock star, you know, rock star Mike, okay? The, the Bible refers to the messengers in the church as being either angels or stars. So if you don't like any of those, you can simply call me a messenger boy, because basically the word angel is a messenger. And, and as we look at this, this is probably not a physical star being thrown down to the earth. And the reason we would not interpret literally like that, because this star has keys, right? It has a key to open the, the bottomless pit. And this, this angel is sent down, and I was asked this question, do you believe there, like, there's some intermediate form of, of a, a holding place for righteous and unrighteous people, and it's different than heaven or hell? I, let me just give you my pitch. I, I shared briefly my answer there, I'm going to share briefly my answer here. As you think about heaven, as you think of hell, just again, think about it in, this, I mean, in its clearest way, okay, simplest way, but its clearest way. Heaven is a place where who's at? God. Okay, so people who have died in God or in Christ are in God's presence in a place called heaven. People who have died outside of Christ are in a place where God is not manifest present. Those two places exist. A place where God is in his fullness and a place where God is not in his fullness. God is everywhere. But what we have here is we have heaven and hell not in its final state. And, and the word hell is, the words used for hell in the Old Testament and New Testament are different. It's Gehenna in the Old Testament. It's Hades in the, in the New Testament. And it's also the word abyss. And later on we'll have the lake of fire. There will be a final state of that, just like there's a final state of heaven. God is still preparing a place for us that when, when we die that we'll be with him. But there's only a hell and there's only a heaven. There's a place where God is in, his, is in his manifest presence, in his fullness, and a place where he's not. And what God does here, he says, I'm going to send down an angel. It's probably an evil angel. It's probably quite possibly Satan himself. And I say, I'm going to let you do what I wouldn't allow you to do before. I'm, I'm going to let you open up this place where I've already judged some of the evil angels who have participated in so much evil. I said, that's it. You're not loose at all. And we could go into that, but we don't have time to go into that as far as which angels God has already judged so they can't get out. But I'm going to give you a key, and you can open that up. So this is probably a messenger. It's probably not an earthly messenger. It's a heavenly messenger that was sent down to open up this place. And what does he open up? This is the fifth judgment. Verse 2, he opens the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, and the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. So angels, and we know that the Bible tells us that angels can take on a variety of different forms. In fact, the Bible says that be aware you can entertain an angel uh, without knowing you are entertaining an angel. So angels can take on human form, but they can also take on other forms as well. And so I really believe that, that out of that bottomless pit, a place of judgment, these creatures will come on, take on the shape and form of, of, of locust-like creatures that will have the capacity 
to sting as scorpions. Verse 4. They were told, and this is again where God limits the judgment and the activity of evil ones. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, which had grown back from the vegetation that had been consumed, as well as the grass that was still here on the earth. Two-thirds of it had not been consumed. Nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So what we're going to be seeing in this fifth judgment is a time of torturous experience. It goes on in verse uh, 5 and says this, And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now, most scorpion activity that I read about was that which will not kill you, but want, you, will, you, know, you won't die from being bit by a, or stung by a scorpion. You just want, you'll just want to die. The pain is that bad. And so he limits them, this first unleashing of God's judgment from, from the bottomless pit where God's indirect hand will allow certain things to happen. And again, you have the two agendas from the evil one and the holy one. The Holy One is trying to get people's attention and also to judge sin, but draw people to himself, which he does do. And, and the evil one is trying to consolidate his power. And, and if, you're, if you're not really aware of this, you know, evil people who are next to other evil people you know, want to be more powerful than the other evil people they're with. And so there will be righteous people who will resist you know, the evil one. But there will be evil people who will resist the Antichrist to come because they're going to want to be in power. And so he consolidates his power when he brings judgment here on earth. But really, he's the hand of God to get people's attention because God is sounding the what? The alarm. That's the point of the message this morning. God is sounding the alarm to get people's attention and say, wake up, this is going to happen. And then in verse 6 it says, And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. Now, another question this, uh, over the last couple of weeks from people in life groups, and they ask, well, are, the, are the, the people who come to faith in Christ during this period of time, and if you believe like I believe, that God is going to take his church before this period of time happens, there'll be a multitude of people that will get saved. Do these saved people get somehow um, rescued from all the judgments that happen on this earth? My response to that is no. Just like in these times, the, 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 the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain shine, uh, comes down on the righteous and the unrighteous. Is that the people experience pain and suffering on this planet now, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, and that will be true then as well. And, and that verse where it says that you're not going to be able to touch the people who have the seal of God. Now, that, I think every true Christian has the seal of God, but I, I think this is a unique seal here. This is the seal that's given to the 144,000 who are going to be preserved throughout this entire period of time. But the rest, when, when the vegetation uh, is consumed, a third of it, you know, they're going to suffer hunger as well, whether you're a Christian or not Christian. When, when there's very little fresh water, that's going to impact a Christian or as well as a non-Christian. When these creatures are come out and they torment uh, the people on this planet, I believe Christians will be tormented as well. Because that, that has always been true. Job was not preserved or, or excluded from the sufferings of this world. He lost his family. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. And even the Apostle Paul, he received a thorn in the what? Flesh. And it said it was to buffet him 
uh, from Satan. And so uh, we will, we will res- uh, people in, during that time will go through all of that. But the difference is they'll have the hope of heaven. Even Paul said, uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang in here. scribes, the locust, scorpion-type creatures that are made. The, the appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And, and horses were used during that first century as just a sign of, 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 of people warring against each other. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. It looked like these creatures that, that are exper- uh, causing so much pain to so many people that they look like they're winning. That's what the crown of gold is. It's the crown of, of, of the victorious ones. And their faces were like the faces of men. They will be intelligent creatures. They had hair like the hair of women. They will be seductive. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They will be so powerful and, and able to destroy. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. They will look like they're invincible. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They will just seem so overwhelmingly numerous and powerful. They have tail, tails like scorpions and, and stings. And in their tails, in their power to hurt men for five months. And they'll have a leader, verse 11. They have as king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in, in the Greek has the name Apollyon, which simply means, translated means destroyer. And is, this the, is this the end of all the horrific things that will happen during this period of time? No, verse 12 says, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming. The trumpet four is a, star, a third of the stars darkened, but trumpet five is a host of locusts released to torture mankind. And I see these locusts as demonic creatures that will take on this form to, to bring pain to this world. And then finally, and quickly this morning, uh, trumpet six, an, an army of two million with four released angels, will kill a third of mankind. Uh, look at that in the text. Then the sixth angel sounded, and then I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release or set free the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And again, I take these four angels that are at the great river Euphrates, which is at the center of of uh, the Middle East, where that river came through, probably in the area where maybe the Garden Eden had, had first been, and, and that place at the first sin, and it's now the, the judgment upon that sin is, is portrayed as coming from there. That the four angels who had been prepared, verse 16, for the hour and day and month and years at God's timetable were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. So when the Bible talks about this is going to be a time like no other time, a time in the past or in the future. You can see this described here in just the numbers. Earlier, in the the seal judge, a fourth of the population perished. And then you add to that another third of it perishes. And you put those two together, basically what's happened now is one half of the world's population have died. And these will be people of faith as well as people who are in rebellion against God. And then the description. And this I, 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 is how I saw in the vision of the horses and those who sat on them, the, the riders and breastplates, the color 
of fire and of hastens and brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And then out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. And again, I see this as a demonic force. A third of the mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, their tails are like serpents and have heads and with them, and they do harm. And the rest of the mankind, we're going to see the response of, of people, um, this, this armies of people, 200 million. And never in any of the battles we've had on earth have there been 200 million forces come as a, a united army. And I don't see this again as human um, soldiers. I see that will be in the future. This is again a demonic unleashing of the evil of the evil one, Satan. Verse 20, and the rest of mankind who were not killed, half the population of the world is still living, by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent, which simply means they did not change of their murderers, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor their thefts. So in the midst of horrific judgments here on the earth, the only way you can describe this, this can't be produced by men. It has to be some supreme being allowing this to happen. People will not run to God largely. They'll run away from him. They will refuse to admit their sin and turn to the only sin bearer, Jesus. You know, just a, a quick note. It says they will not turn from their sorceries. The word there, sorceries, really comes from a word from which we get uh, pharma, uh, well, where we get the word pharmacy, basically. And basically, you go to, we go to pharmacies today, but those, basically what pharmacies are, they're drugstores, right? Where you go in and you get drugs to relieve whatever you're going through. And maybe one way to explain this is that people will, they will, they will fill themselves with all kinds of chemicals to endure what they're going through. The message of the book of Revelation is God has sounded the alarm. For us who know him now, to, to live life on purpose and on plan, for, for pleasing God and presenting his message to a world so needy to escape God's judgment. And, and to warn those who will be there that, that run to him rather than run away from him. But those who will not repent, they will not be able to say in the end, well, I, 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 didn't really know, I didn't really know that there was a supreme God. Because they will experience God in the wrath and judgment that has happened on this earth. And yet people still will not repent. What's the message to us? Make sure you have a relationship with the living Christ. The message is clear. It, it is simple, but it's not easy. Anyone who comes to faith in Christ must, first of all, admit their need and turn from their sins. God, I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. Secondly, you've got to really believe, really trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins, and rose again. And at the crossroads of, the cross roads of life, you've got to come to that point. Well, God, I commit myself to you. I trust you with my life. 
to be the leader and Lord of my life and my Savior. And when you come to that point where you fully commit yourself to him and surrender to him, that God gives you that gift that only he can give, which is life. Life that will last forever and be in his presence forever. Let's pray.